The year is 1921. The nation is riveted by the trial of Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti, Italian immigrants and suspected anarchists who were accused of murdering two workers during the armed robbery of a Massachusetts shoe company. But their supporters claim the men are the innocent victims of anti-immigrant bias and a rising fear in the country of anarchists, communists, and socialists. Warring Harding is inaugurated as the 29th president of the United States, having won the office, at least in part, because the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote for the first time in a national election, and lots of them voted for Harding. Meanwhile, in Atlantic City, New Jersey, a 16-year-old girl named Margaret Gorman is crowned the winner in the first Miss America contest. And that year, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to Miss Lulu Bet, a play about a small-town spinster in her 30s trying to take control of her life. The play made its author, Zona Gale, the first woman to win the prize for drama. My name is Jan Simpson. Welcome to All the Drama, a podcast about the plays and musicals that have won American theater's highest accolade, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Zona Gale was a best-selling novelist, an avid feminist, and one of the most famous women of her day. But the Pulitzer judges weren't all that excited about giving her the drama prize. Two of them favored other plays, and the third didn't think any of that year's offerings was worthy. Miss Lulu Bett was their compromise. Lulu Bett is not a great play, they wrote in their recommendation letter to the Pulitzer Board that has final say over all the Pulitzer Awards. But the judge's letter continued that the play, quote, is original and interesting, and Miss Gale is a woman to whom such an honor can go with justice. As the award has not gone to a woman before, perhaps it would be a graceful concession to give her this year's prize. End quote. Gail was born on August 26, 1874, to Charles Franklin Gale, a railroad engineer, and Eliza Beers Gale, a one-time school teacher. The family lived in the small town of Portage, Wisconsin. An only child, Zona remained extremely close to her parents throughout their lives, and actually beyond, but we'll get to that later. She said she began writing stories when she was seven. Her parents encouraged her to keep at it, and she sold her first one for $3 to the Milwaukee Evening, Wisconsin, when she was 16. Two years later, she enrolled at the University of Wisconsin and graduated with a degree in library science in 1895. She got her master's in 1899. But she knew she wanted to make her living as a writer. So she applied for jobs at local newspapers. None would hire her. But Gail was determined, and so she just started showing up at the Milwaukee Journal every day and pestering its city editor for assignments until he finally redunted. She worked there for two years before moving to New York City, where she used the same tactic to get a job at the New York World. There she wrote general assignment stories about the city and lived frugally, routinely sending up to two-thirds of her salary home to her parents. 
But Gail eventually took a job as secretary to the poet and critic Edmund Clarence Stedman, which allowed her to move in literary circles. And she continued writing short stories, beating out some 1,500 applicants to win first place in a story writing contest convinced her that she could make her living as a fiction writer. And in 1904, she moved back home to Portage and began writing full time. Gail sold her first novel in 1906 and others followed, but she made her name as a short story writer. She wrote over 100 of them selling them to such popular magazines of the day as Harper's Monthly, The Atlantic Monthly, and Woman's Home Companion. Most of the stories were set in the small fictional town of Friendship Village, which had been inspired by life in Portage. Many of them were narrated by a character called Calliope Marsh, an independent, unmarried woman who served as the spokeswoman for Gail's progressive social and political views. In one story called Dream, Calliope tries to persuade her neighbors to accept having a black family move into their all-white village. When none of Gail's usual magazine outlets would publish the story, she insisted on including it in one of her short story collections. She originally published Miss Lulu Bet as a novel, in 1920. It told the story of an unmarried woman who, having no means of her own, lives with her sister and well-off brother-in-law who treat her as a kind of servant who has to do all the housework. An escape from that jury life comes when the brother-in-law's dashing brother arrives for a visit, takes pity on Lulu, marries her, and takes her away. But it turns out that her new husband neglected to tell Lulu that he'd been married before, and although his wife left him long ago and he has no idea where she is, that marriage is still legal, and so the one with Lulu isn't. A shameful Lulu returns to the family home, but having had a taste of freedom, she's no longer content to live as she once did and has to figure out whether to stay on there accept a face-saving marriage proposal from a more humble local man, or strike out on her own. The book was a bestseller, and the Broadway producer Brock Pembleton thought that a stage adaptation of such a beloved title would attract a big audience. So he asked Gail to turn it into a play, even though she'd never written a professional play before. Gail said it took her less than 10 days to do it. The reviews were only so-so. And the play didn't make the cut for the annual Burns Mantle list of the season's 10 best plays. But the production still ran for a then very respectable 198 performances. And, of course, it won the Pulitzer Prize. Kind of. A crusading feminist, Gail tweaked the ending of her novel so that the play ended with Lulu leaving the family home and declaring, Goodbye. Goodbye, all of you. I'm going. I don't know where. To work at, I don't know what, but I'm going from choice. But immediately after the play opened, Pemberton got letters from theatergoers complaining that they wanted a more conventionally happy ending. So even though the play was already open and had already been reviewed, Gail rewrote the ending so that Lulu ends up with a man. A movie version of Miss Lulu Bet was made in 1921. And in 2001, it was listed in the Library of Congress's National Film Registry of Significant Films. 
but the play seldom gets done anymore. Although the Mint Theatre Company, which specializes in doing underappreciated works, mounted a production in 2000 that was directed by Jim Nicola, who recently stepped down as head of the New York Theatre Workshop. And in 2018, the Sierra Madre Playhouse in California staged a reading of the play. Gail wrote a half dozen or so more plays, but only one made it to Broadway, and it ran only half as long as Miss Lulu Bed had. Her fiction became less popular, too. When her mother died in 1923, Gail turned to spiritualism in an attempt to communicate with her beyond the grave. The critics and many of her readers became disenchanted as she began to incorporate her mysticism into her writing. But Gail never changed her commitment to her political and social beliefs. She was a proud member of the National Women's Party and supported the progressive agenda advanced by the La Follette family of Wisconsin. She was also an early conservationist, an opponent of capital punishment, an advocate for the humane treatment of animals, a member of the American Civil Liberties Union, a supporter of the NAACP, and so fervent a pacifist that the Secret Service kept a file on her. In 1928, when she was 54, she got married for the first time to William L. Breeze, a widowed banker and textile executive who had been a childhood friend. She died 10 years later after contracting pneumonia during a hospital stay for another ailment. Although Breeze, who lived on until 1954 when he died at the age of 90, established scholarships in his wife's name and donated their home to become a library in Portage, Gail's reputation has faded over the years. So I'm happy to welcome to the podcast someone who knows her work well. My guest is Julia Earhart, a professor at the University of Oklahoma and the author of Writers of Conviction. The Personal Politics of Zona Gale, Dorothy Canfield Fisher, Rose Wilder Lane, and Josephine Herbst. Hello, Julia Earhart. Welcome to All the Drama. Oh, thank you. So glad to have you here. This is a, a special play because it's the first play by a, a woman to win the Pulitzer Prize and the third play, period to win the, the prize. So I'm wondering, what do you think made the board award the prize to this play? Well, I think the play really resonated with a lot of people across audiences. The novel upon which the play was based was very, very popular. And I think it's important to stress, too, that Zona Gale was a writer who most people in the United States would know. She was a known commodity and had been for about 15 years. And in addition to her drama work, had written novels and editorials and papers. She was a political activist and pacifist. And I think when people were looking at the play, they found a lot of social commentary in it to which they could relate. I also think that, you know, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama was a relatively new award mm -hmm. when she won it, and there had been no award the previous year. So I think they were looking for a way to publicize this award by giving it to somebody who had literary stature. 
arts. That's an interesting uh, thought. The play, as you noted, the play began as a novel. She adapted it as a play. And then she changed the ending a couple of weeks after the play opened. Do you know which version of the play the judges read and ruled on? Um, They would have read the second version, I am sure, the one that was revised. Um, The judges would have had the version that was performed throughout the United States, which would have been the revised version. That's the one on which they would have voted. Why do you think she changed the ending? The original ending was what I think today we might consider a more feminist ending uh, with Miss Lulu Betts going off on her own. The ending that the judges read was a more traditional ending. Zona Gale herself, again, was such a feminist. Why do you think she changed the ending? I think she changed the ending because of pressure. I don't think that she would have willingly changed it. I think what had happened was that the audience in some reviews and also some critics did not like the original ending of Lulu Betts going off by herself. And they said that they wanted a quote unquote happier ending. I can understand this um, because the country had just been through um, an unprecedented um, experience with World War I. And I also think that the country and theatrical audience may have just been tapped out on feminism with the passage of the 19th Amendment. I think in historical retrospect, we all assume that after the 19th Amendment had passed, there was an amazing swing of the pendulum to give women more rights. And that's not actually true. There was a lot of backlash against women and fear about the power that this amendment was going to give them. You know, they had the right to vote. What are they going to do next? So I think it was a combination of societal anxieties that said, look, we we just don't need any more of this when we go to see a drama, we want a happy ending, which for women at that time would have involved a woman getting married, because this was still a a daring choice for a woman, especially one who would have been Lulu Betts' age without a college education to strike out on her own. That's interesting, because I was thinking about this, and I thought Ibsen had already written A Doll's House. Even Eugene O'Neill, in his early plays, was dealing with somewhat liberated uh, women, and they weren't forced to change their plays. Do you think the pressure might have been because she herself was a woman and she herself was a feminist woman? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Zona Gale was a literary force. She was also a pacifist, a feminist, and an anti-racist. And I do think this was a backlash against her gender. I also think that she was a very small person. She was only about four foot five inches tall. And so I think when people met her, they said, hey, here's a woman who we can push around. Drama, as we know, is a very, very sexist field. And Stories about women going out on their own 
are taken differently when men suggest they can do it and when women do it. And I also think that in the context of Ibsen and Mm O'Neill, they are dramatists. People know them mainly as dramatists. In the case of Zona Gale, they would know her as so much more as a feminist activist. And I think that might have also have raised some hackles. And because Gale was not herself primarily a dramatist, I also think that that also influenced the audience's reactions to the plays. That here's somebody who's not primarily a playwright, so maybe we can put some pressure on her that they would not have felt comfortable doing when they were dealing with someone who sort of belonged more on the turf, so to speak. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At the same time, there does seem to have been some recognition of women's talent because in that same year, Edith Wharton won uh, the Pulitzer for Best Novel. So was there a push and pull here? Was the board trying to acknowledge uh, women's talent in the wake of the 19th Amendment, but at the same time feeling nervous about it? Um, No, because the person who actually won the prize was Sinclair Lewis for his novel Main Street. What a lot of people don't know about the Pulitzer Prize is that there's a jury of judges, but the Pulitzer Committee can override the suggestion of the judges. Mm -hmm. So the jury actually awarded Sinclair Lewis the prize for Main Street, which has some jabs against Zona Gale in it. If you read the novel Man Street, you can see Zona Gale actually figures as a fictional character in that book. But the Pulitzer Committee did not appreciate what they saw as some of the rawness of Sinclair Lewis's prose. So they ended up giving the prize to Edith Wharton over the objections of the judges. And Wharton later wrote a letter to Lewis saying, I'm sorry, I found out what happened. You really deserved the prize. That's very, very interesting. Um, how did you first encounter Zona Gale? She was so famous in her day, as you've noted, but she isn't as well known today. I wonder if you talk a little bit about why that is and how you discovered her. Well, I read stories by her in grammar school. Her story, most famously Bill, is anthologized in a lot of upper grade level and high school textbooks. I also had known of her as the woman who had won the Pulitzer Prize for drama because Mm -hmm. I was a women's studies major and literature scholar as an undergraduate. And so you study Wharton and Gale because of that. I was also very, very interested in feminism and the history of feminism in the United States, and Zona Gale was very prominent there. I actually found her because there was a group of feminist women, writers, artists, leaders, who met in New York City at a club that was called Heterodoxy. And even though Zona Gale lived in her hometown of Portage, Wisconsin, she would travel frequently to New York to take part in these meetings. There were meetings once a month about feminism, getting the 19th Amendment passed, what role women had in pacifism. She was also a reformer who wanted to make life better for women who worked in factories. She was a big part of the settlement house movement. Jane Addams was one of her friends. So you couldn't major in women's studies and study the history of feminism in the early 20th century without 
encountering this name. And when I found out that she had written novels, I thought, wow, you know, I've got to read some of this material. She's an absolutely fascinating figure. And I believe the reason she is not known today is because she was a pacifist. And she was actually investigated by government authorities because to be a pacifist in World War I was not something that was popular with the government. Zona Gale refused to buy war bonds. Also, she was very mystical and very spiritual. And if you look at her output after Miss Lulubet, her next two novels are virtually incomprehensible if you don't know a lot about mysticism and spiritualism. So I think she had a, a crest of popularity. And then when she turned to writing more about spiritualism and pacifism, she never had a real bestseller after that. I think her literary stock fell. When she won the Pulitzer, she was not young. Um, she's almost 50. And I think as opposed to the younger O'Neills and Ibsens, she's sort of an, an older figure who doesn't fit the sort of modernist era of drama. Huh. It's also interesting. It took another 10 years for another woman to win the Pulitzer Prize for drama. Yes. Um, Susan Glassbell, whose name may be a little more familiar to people who follow theater. Mm -hmm. And then there was another gap, and we got Mary Chase with Harvey, and then another gap before Beth Henley with the uh, Crimes from the Heart. What does this sort of say about women in drama? Uh, you can look at it and say, Zona Gale, she was there very early, but then we have sort of a spotty record. Right. Well, I've, I've read all of the, those plays, and I'm also a really big fan of Lynn Nottage, um, who I think is one of the most exciting playwrights active today. And I think that drama is still very sexist. That may not be something that your listeners want to hear, but I think it's always been a very male-dominated field. I also think that women have always sort of been at the fringes. When we talk about drama, we're talking about a male space. We're also talking about an art that's very urbane. It's very, very easy to buy a best-selling novel or even a book of poetry. But to see drama and to know about drama, you've got to be in a place where these plays are being put on. I teach at a university that does not stage plays by women. The success of women writing plays also depends on their theme. I'm struck by the fact that so many women who have won the Pulitzer Prize have won plays about writing about women, whether it's the Heidi Chronicles or even Night Mother. Drama critics more generally expect women to write plays about women and family life. And when they don't, they really don't know where to put the dramatist. Male dramatists seem to be able to write about anything they want, including women's issues. But I think that the subject matter that women are allowed to explore in their plays is also very limited. I also think that if you look at the blips and you look at how well women are doing, usually you can see those blips when women win the prize, when women's issues are in the news, right? So I mm. think there's a correlation between history and what the public wants to see on stage. Hmm. And again, Zona Gale sets the template 
because right. uh, Miss Lulu Bet won the year after women got the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think if that play was performed today, it would be a hit. People could resonate with that, especially if it was performed with the original ending. This is a play that would have enormous life now. And I know a couple of playhouses had planned to do a 100-year revival. And I think COVID prevented those revivals from happening. So we can only hope. (laughs) Yes, let's hope that someone does stage a version of the play and with Gail's original ending. Yes, it's a shame that she's been lost to literary history and to dramatic history. Well, thank you very much for helping us bring her back a little bit. It was a pleasure. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway radio podcasts. And if you aren't already doing so, that you'll consider making a contribution to support our work, which you can do at patreon.com slash broadwayradio.